0: the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word.
1: Thank you for listening to AFR and specifically Exploring the Word. And we're glad you could tune in and be with us today, whether you're in a truck, on a tractor, in a car, at your desk, at home, wherever you might be. We thankful that you would take time to listen. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarland, and we're going to begin a new book this time. We study a book most of the time. Every once in a while, we'll take a break and do a subject, but most of the time, we work our way through books, and we finish Galatians, and a lot of times, we go back and forth, Old and New Testament, but Alex and I were talking about where we should go, and for some reasons that I think you'll be able to understand, we decided to study the book of First Corinthians. Alex, when I read about the Nature and the culture of Corinth in the day that Paul wrote this book, I want to tell you it is relevant for our world today because some of the th- same things they were having trouble with, we're having trouble with those same moral issues today, brother.
2: Well, that's true. That's true. And, Bert, it's great to be with you, my friend, and everybody listening to Exploring the Word. We're going to be in First Corinthians. Uh, Bird, I was watching a show about animals that can blend in with color, and it w- is amazing, the octopus. If it needs to hide, the octopus has the ability to change colors and blend in. And then there's moths, certain, like a peppered moth, that can get up against the bark of a tree, and you don't even see it. Uh, but there's times in life that it is not good to blend in. Uh, And I I was thinking about those animals that can, you know, just morph into the background. But we Christians, uh, and this is part of the message to the church at Corinth, they were not to blend in. Because, you know, then as now, there are things that are unbiblical, there are things that are immoral. And uh, so part of our message in looking at 1 Corinthians is, uh, don't be a disciple that blends into the background. I think we're supposed to maybe stand out, and even all the more brightly, uh, the darker times become.
1: Amen. And you could really stand out as a Christian in Corinth, but the problem was they were not standing out. They were blending in. The population of Corinth during Paul's time was approximately 700,000 people, mm. and uh, about two-thirds of those were slaves, believe it or not. It was that kind time, and it's in what we would call modern-day Greece, Macedonia in that day, and Paul started the church on his second missionary journey. It was founded there, <clears throat> and I would say it was probably in what you would call an unlikely place because we're really talking about a, a culture gone mad, and, and again, Paul was able to start this church and establish that church, and then Apollos, we know, would come in and preach possibility of of peter but we we think it was not that but there is that possibility but corinth is this uh town that had a great great commerce alex a lot of it was because of location and close to the water but at the same time uh land mass that could be connected to the rest so it was a strategic place it had been destroyed earlier but then when Roman was uh, Rome became a, a great power, it revised Corinth and rebuilt it, and it became the commerce that, that it was known for in Paul's day.
2: Amen. Well, like I say, this is a big city. I mean, this would be like London or New York City, uh, you know, getting a, a move of God and a message from God. But there's part of the problem is divisions, and divisions and disorder— And so Paul, for one thing, it's very, very straightforward. You know, people sometimes say the Bible is hard to understand. Well, you read 1 Corinthians, um, it might be hard to uh, internalize the message, but it's not hard to understand the message uh, because Paul is very straightforward. Let me begin to read this a little bit, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting how he says, you know, sanctified by the will of God and called to be saints. A lot of them really weren't terribly sanctified, were they? <laughs>
1: they were not. And notice what he does. <clears throat> he, uh, I, I'm going to skip down to verse 10. It doesn't mean I'm not going to come back. But in verse 10, chapter 1, verse 10, he uses the word now. <laughs> he's been waiting to say that for nine verses. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Good. <laughs> he, he, he's ready to get to it, but he is he is putting them in their position with Christ who they are yep. positionally and you did you read that and that is the Saints they've been separated to God and they were to walk with God now that's the key words listen to my words safely they have been they have been separated to God to walk with God that's our call today he separates us from the world It doesn't mean he takes us out of the world, but he separates us because we have a a new calling. Uh, We have a new life. We're a new creation in Christ. And then we're to be led by the Spirit. And, Alex, uh, it is to the Corinth church that he writes, and, again, Mm -hmm. sanctified in Christ, called to be saints. He sets it up a pretty high bar, doesn't he, of what there should be? Well, he really does. Yeah.
2: He really does, and you know, uh, it's interesting. A little bit of foundational stuff here. Um, this is early in Paul's ministry as a writer of the New Testament. You know, it's been is is theorized that um, this is probably about the third book that Paul wrote. Now we just did Galatians, which a lot of people believe is the first of the New Testament books that Paul wrote. Then First Thessalonians, now First Corinthians. And, you know, I just appreciate how straightforward it is. I mean, it is really, um, you know, to the point, and you'll see that as we get into some of the verses. Names mean a lot, and Sosthenes, our brother. Now, Bert, am I right? Isn't he mentioned in in Acts, he, this guy? He,
1: he is the guy that's mentioned in Acts 18, if I remember correctly. And, uh, again, notice, our brother, our brother in Christ, and I, don't you love that? Paul starts this out, and, and I, I'm just saying this to set you up to comment further, Alex, if you could. He sets them up in these relationships. That ha- That's how important relationships are with a pastor and, and the congregation with everything. And Paul is establishing and telling this relationship before he begins this letter that has to be very tough, but he sets the relationship first. He's saying, I love you, and that's the reason I'm writing this, basically.
2: Well, and, and here's the thing. The, the name Sosthenes means strong savior. Now, obviously, Jesus is the Savior, but here's the thing, and we're not for sure, but there was a a ruler of the synagogue at Corinth who was beaten and persecuted, and this Sosthenes, Paul says, our brother, um, you know, who is a synagogue ruler, Jewish, but now a Christian. See, part of the you got these diverse people that are called to be saints, called to be sanctified, so one of the first things that— Paul's going to talk about besides spiritual gifts is the divisions in the church and division and fragmentation does open the door to carnality. So believe it or not, I think here in these opening verses, you know, he's call, he's calling for unity within the, the believers there. He says in verse four, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. And notice remember, Paul, he says that he was, called to be an apostle by the will of God through Christ Jesus. Now here's the gifts of the church given to you by Christ Jesus. "...that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ." God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what's interesting to me in verse 8 there, um, they weren't living the blameless, pure, sanctified Christian life, many of them, but he reminds them that through Jesus they are called to purity, and they'll be confidently presented before the Father blameless. So he's He's sort of... Uh, uh, commending them for some characteristics that should have been present but at that moment weren't.
1: That's exactly right. <clears throat> I noticed something. I want to see if you would comment on it. I, I I know you've done it, but I want to make this. Look at verse 4, Alex. Notice this and how the wording is. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Now, what he wrote to the church at Philippi and Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, listen to how it changes. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. What a little bit of difference. He was thanking God concerning them and the grace of God that was given to them. But when he's talking about the church at Philippi, that honestly, you, you've got two gigantic churches in the New Testament, not counting Jerusalem. I think it does qualify but it's Antioch and Philippi. Those two churches, if you're going to model your church about it, you say, I want to have a New Testament church, look at the church at Antioch and look at the church at Philippi and say, Lord, I want to, to do my best to be like that. But here in verse uh, 4, he says, I, think, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God. But in Philippians, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Uh, honestly, he couldn't say that about the Corinthian church, Alex.
2: Wow, that's true. He really couldn't. It's almost like John writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor. There, there were plenty to point out wrong and not a lot to point out right. Um, But, you know, you mentioned earlier, after these nine verses, you know, he really gets to the point. After this, you know, he says twice, grace to you, this introduction, he's, it's almost like <laughs> All right, let's get down to business. It
1: is. I love this, Alex. <laughs> it's just real. I, I, I know I interrupted. Let me say this. When you see this, it is a turning point. You're always looking for those words, those turning words, but, and, and then. But here, now, uh, it, <laughs> it just switches. Uh, he said, let's go in a different direction, doesn't he?
2: I told you all that to tell you this. (laughs) In verse 10 of chapter 1, we get to what he really needs to talk about among many things. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Bert, for the... Oh, goodness, what, 345,000 Protestant churches in America. The Barna says 110, 120 million adult Christians. I, I would love for First Corinthians 1, verse 10 to be our state, that yeah. we speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among us, and that we would be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, how could that ever happen among a hundred million adult Christians? It could happen we could speak with the same voice if we were all under the word of God.
1: Amen, Alex. And notice what he does. <clears throat> He's used the word saints, and now he calls them brethren. He is he is identifying with him. I'm with you. I'm one of the brethren. And he even follows through in verse eleven calling them my brethren. So Paul is getting down to this. It is difficult for him to write, and it's like, I am disciplining you, but I'm doing it in love. We're going to come back and read of more of 1 Corinthians right after this break. This is Pause to Pray, a
3: chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders.
1: Today we pray for Julie Chavez Rodriguez, Director of the White House Office of Intergovernmental Affairs. Her office builds and maintains relationships between the White House and state, county, local, and tribal governments. Romans 12, 18 reminds us of the importance of working together. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Julie Chavez Rodriguez. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says our culture is waging war on Christianity, using every dirty trick in the book to take over God's rightful place in our lives. We'll take a look at the enemy's not-so-secret weapon today as we
2: spend two minutes with Tony.
3: The media is the contemporary idolatrous mechanism to introduce us to the idol of culture so that we are reintroduced to another way of thinking. Things that used to shame you 20 years ago don't shame you today. Language that you used to say don't talk like that, we get used to hearing it and it's no big deal. Stuff that was hidden on side streets is now on the front screen and you don't have an option if you're gonna watch TV for it to pop up sometimes because the culture has used entertainment and the fun it brings to dull our senses about the standards of God. So now what used to not be okay is now okay because we are entertained by it. The jokes may be filthy, but because they're funny, they know they can get us to laugh and dull our sensitivity. Why? Because they are creating a God of culture. You are called to be salt and light. You're not called to fake it to make it. You are called to responsibly, kindly, lovingly, but clearly represent the Christian faith and then watch God do his thing.
2: Learn to identify the items and ideas that try to take God's place in your life. Check out Tony's CD series, American Idols, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Jesus said, let the little children
1: come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Matthew 19, 14. American Family Radio.
2: Paul had preached for 18 months at Corinth and had visited there. Well, uh, 2 Corinthians talks about a third visit. So he had a big connection in this city with a huge population, and uh, he really is getting into the, the, the call to action. You know, Bert, we always talk about a call to action. Well, he says, I want you to be of the same mind, the same voice, no division. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 1, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. So Bert, uh, a contention, that's always an unfortunate thing, especially in, in the church of God. And I, and I want to tell you, and I love the church, but traveling and preaching, when churches get split, besides you know, losing their momentum and their gospel impact, Uh, This word there, contentions, uh, in uh, verse 13, let me see here. Verse 11. Verse 11. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 11. Contentions, um, they have a long-lasting ripple effect, don't they? It takes a long time to overcome.
1: You're right, Alex, and here's what's happening. These contentions are quarrels. Some versions say quarrels, and that is honestly a better word. They were quarreling with one another it is not only within the church, it was coming out in the city. Here they were to be witnesses of them. Going back to verse 10, to be perfectly joined together, that word is knit together, uh, like you were knitting something. Not necessarily something that you have a seam and, and you sew it together, but it's knitted together, weaved together so that you do that. So it's not easily broken or separated and here they were having these quarrels and again it's by chloe's household <clears throat> it was so bad and, and i would like for you and me to try to explain this at what point in time should chloe and her household let paul know that something bad was happening in corinth in other words you know it must want have been build. pretty serious yeah it does it does You don't want to be a tattletale, but you don't want to wait too long. And and I honestly believe Chloe and her household were under God's burden, the burden of God on them to say these shouldn't be. And they is praying, I believe, and saying, what can we do about it? And they said, you know who's around that we need to talk to? It needs to be Paul. So they take this report to Paul to tell them what's going on, Alex. So that is always hard to know when – to speak up, to say something when in a church when you know it's not right. How big does it have to be? How bad does it have to get, you know, before you speak up? You don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but you don't want it to grow either, do you?
2: Uh, well, of course, uh, you're right. And a word here that I think is so worth uh, looking at is the word divided. This is in verse 13, because here's the thing. Obviously, they didn't have the New Testament at this point, and so the spreading of the gospel, you know, there's different preachers, and I guess they all had their their favorites. Um, now I say that each of you says, I am Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ, verse uh, 13 here, is Christ divided? And the word that you split into parts is literally what this word means. Um, No, uh, Christ isn't split into parts. Uh, Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And of course, very famously, verse 14, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Bert, let's talk about this here, because one of the questions that I get when I speak at colleges is very often, why are there so many different denominations People will say, why are there so many different denominations and every church preaches a different message? You know, I understand there are different denominations and some things that, you know, different churches have distinctives they maximize on, but really the core message should never be different, should it?
1: It should not, and that's why he says earlier in verse 10 that you speak the same thing. Now, he is not saying, get your talking points right, you know? But he is saying that you need to know notice it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Have the the Christology, everything about Christ. Know that it's grace. It's in faith alone. By that by grace alone through faith. It is him. And you, it is not by it is not by Paul, Apollos, Cephas. They not and that's when he makes this point it's not about me he said was paul crucified for you don't you love how he put himself down by doing that he said it's not about me although there was people there said now we listen to paul you remember what paul said do you remember that sermon that paul preached do you remember that illustration that paul gave you know they were comparing they were competing with one another and and so Paul just says, "Listen, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not about uh, Peter. It's about Christ." And Alex, that's what we agree upon. I and you and I go into different denominations all the time, and the yes. whole thing is, what is it? It's Jesus Christ. It's Amen. not. Uh, I go to those churches that, man, they they have speaking in tongues. I go to some churches and, and they they sprinkle. They don't immerse. But I, I am telling you, I can go in there and preach Christ and glorify Him and serve Him. And, brother, don't make the, the smaller things. And again, when I say that, I know I'm going to catch it. But in comparison to who Christ is, what He has done for us, where He is, what He's going to do, all those other things concerning whether we vote or don't vote, what, what, you know, what we, songs we should sing or not sing, Let me put it in Mississippi language. Those are small potatoes compared to Christ, isn't it?
2: (laughs) Amen. Amen. You know, I I think about that as well, because, look, they had camps, C-A-M-P-S, yeah. and somebody is of this camp, of that camp. I'm just going to say this, and I love the body of Christ, but we've had, in the last really 10 to 15 years, there have been the Reformed and the non-Reformed and the Calvinist and the non-Calvinist, and there's... Pentecostals and charismatic, and there's you know, uh, born again Roman Catholics. And uh, let me just say, folks, um, I, I just believe at this point in our nation's history, we don't have the luxury to be sequestered away. I was um, have talking to a pastor who was um, sort of, as we say, giving me down in the country. You know, in other words, he was a little put out with me, and he is. He said, "You know, you you go out there and you preach all over the place, and uh, goodness, Alex." Uh, you grew up Presbyterian, and you were ordained Baptist, and you just go anywhere the doors open. I said, "Uh, yeah, that's right. And uh, I said, uh, and this guy, this particular guy that I was talking to, he really did not like what we call dispensationalism. Now, that's another subject. And here's yet another place that good, godly Christians split up over, and that's eschatology. And uh, I believe in the rapture and the tribulation. And, you know, other people say, well, Christ is coming back. But I, I said, so let me get this straight. You know, you don't like dispensationalism. Uh, so somebody could die, be lost, go to hell, but woo, at least they weren't a dispensationalist. <laughs> uh, well,
1: that's, that's what it sounds like. That's what they say. They're so convinced of that. It sounds like it. I hope they don't believe it, but it sure sounds like it, doesn't it?
2: I know. And, and let me tell you something. Um, like D.L. Moody, one of my great heroes, he said, any friend of Jesus is a friend of mine. And, and that's how I think it ought to be. Uh, but because Satan loves a church divided. And I, I want to say this, folks, just hey, don't get me wrong. You know, Bert and Alex, we believe every word of every page of the Bible. And, you know, I've got an opinion on everything. But let me encourage you, if you're on vacation or you're traveling, uh, go worship and go to church with uh, a different denomination than you. Now, I know there's some things we don't compromise on. Jesus, the Son of God, the the risen Son of God, the Bible, the inerrant Word of God, moral issues. I'm not saying compromise, but on the things that are uh, not... Uh, germane to salvation, show grace. And Paul very famously says in 1 Corinthians 117, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So, Bert, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 117. Are you telling me baptism and the gospel are two different things?
1: Let me share with you. (laughs) He says it plainly. You can't turn it around, get any version you want. The Amplified, the New International, for Christ did not send me to baptize. That's that's a statement. But I'm always looking for those conjunctions, Alex, you know. He says, but on the other hand, I was called and I am sent to preach the gospel. And that is the whole idea. And he's going to bring up not with wisdom in a moment, and we'll talk about that, but here he is. Notice what he said. He said, I thank my God that I didn't baptize none of you except, you know, mm. and uh, he wasn't He wasn't saying I didn't uh, lead you to Christ. I thank God I didn't bring you to Christ. No, he said I didn't. I did not baptize you. Let me share with you. Alex and I believe in water baptism as a testimony, as a a beginning point of discipleship. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to make a public visual statement concerning Christ with baptism. And let the world know, I am a follower of Christ. I am following him. But Paul here says, I was called, I was sent to preach the gospel. Two different things. One has to do with salvation. The other has to do with discipleship and i alex uh after salvation discipleship should follow shouldn't it
2: well it, yes it really should because paul is saying you know don't make this about me he said if, if you're gonna be bragging about who baptized you now isn't that something acting carnally but bragging about who baptized me you know gaius <laughs> or whomever paul says i'm glad i didn't baptize that many of you it's almost like in revelation 22 um when uh you know, uh, an angel appeared, and John almost fell down to worship him, and the angel says, see thou do it not. You know, Paul is like, look, don't, don't lift me up. It, it kind of reminds me, one of my heroes is Billy Graham. And when they first opened the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, which, by the way, you ought to go see if you're ever in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Billy Graham uh, archives, it's, it's, it's amazing. amazing. Even, yeah. even if you're not a Christian... Just to understand the 20th century, seriously, you really need to go to the Billy Graham Library. But they said the first time when they were about to open it, and this is, you know, some years ago, but Billy Graham got to tour it, this edifice built in his honor. And they said, what do you think, Dr. Graham? And he said, too much Billy. In other (laughs) words, here's, you know, the most traveled evangelist in world history, but he wasn't careful uh, I mean, he wasn't comfortable they were making it about him. And Paul's the same way. I thank God I haven't baptized any of you. One last thing about verse 17, um, water baptism is important. It's a public declaration of your faith. But the the saving gospel and baptism are two different things. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. Paul's calling was not to baptize, although that's a, an okay thing to do, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Um, Now, we know the cross of Christ is effectual. Jesus died for our sins. But how could it be made of none effect? If, If you can get people to believe some words rather than the one who is the logos, the Son of God, that's not salvation. It's not sophistry or trickery or a sales pitch, and it's not a doctrine of man, The cross of Christ is of effect as long as it's about Christ and we put our faith in him. Amen, Alex.
1: Amen. Let me say this real quick before you go on. Verse 17 sets this up of, I wouldn't say comparison, but defending one. Wisdom against the cross. The wisdom of men against the cross of Christ. And the rest of chapter 1, you're going to see that. You're going to find wisdom talked about eight different times, but you're also going to talk about the crucifixion and the cross of Christ. And Paul was saying they seem to be opposed with one another. In other words, what man, his best that he can produce his wisdom, that's all he can produce. It doesn't bring you to heaven. But the cross of Jesus Christ, he invaded our territory and gave himself a ransom. But in the rest of that, you have these Paul puts them up against one another, and, and he really talks about the cross being the way to God, not the wisdom of man. That, I, I just, that contrast is amazing, brother.
2: Well, the most important day in human history has got to be the day that the Son of God uh, went to a, a skull-shaped hill outside of Jerusalem, laid his back to a beam of wood, and the appropriate measure of God's wrath that you and I deserved was poured on Jesus. Really, uh, the wrath of God, we talk about it, the fury, the punishment that we deserved. And that's profound, it's beautiful. Um, Max Lucado had a book called Six Hours, One Friday, Most Important Day of History, that our, because that's what makes it possible for us to be saved. But verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing. Now, the word in the English language translated foolishness, and I hesitate to even say this, but it's in there. In the Greek, it's the word moronic, yeah. from which we get the word moronic. Now, as a kid, if my sister and I were, Caroline and I were scuffling, and you you moron, you know, I got punished because <laughs> we, we weren't allowed to talk that way to each other. And so I don't use a word like this, but it, I mean, think about it. To say to the world, uh, God loves you, but you're a sinner, and your sins have separated you from God, but Jesus died on the cross for you, and if you put your faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven. That's the greatest message ever. It is. But to the the lost, they don't get it.
1: Amen, Alex. It's the power of God. The power of God is demonstrated in the cross and the resurrection. Do you know him? Hey, that phone number, 888 589-8840. Give us a call, we'd love to hear your question today. Secular progressives want to teach our young children to
2: know how to do things that only married adults should do, and some of it even married adults would find offensive. The prophet Isaiah warned us evil would one day be called good, and he
1: taught us how to respond. American Family Studios has produced a video series featuring Dr. John Oswald explaining Isaiah's truth in a way we can easily understand and apply. Look for Isaiah, the servant of the Lord, when you visit resources.afa.net.
0: Spiritual warfare is a reality that none of us are going to be able to escape. The scripture reveals that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. We must be. But then the word of God says, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So guess what that means? Our supply is not limited to this natural sea. We're not merely just engaged, we are engaged to win. I
3: like that. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter weekday afternoons at five central
0: on American Family Radio. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part too. Was she on a ship? Oh no, she stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? (laughs) Let's get some cookies, and I'll tell you all about it. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. As the possible end of road draws nigh, several states are doing their level best to enshrine themselves as the most faithful adherents to the murderous abortion death cult. Senate Bill 669 in Maryland, also known as the Pregnant Persons Freedom Act, could allow babies to be murdered 28 days after birth, should the bill pass. California Assembly Bill 2223 could also legalize infanticide for weeks months, or even years after a child is born should it pass. These pieces of legislation reveal the utter barbarity that consumes the hearts of some in our nation. This is evil. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
3: The Salvation Army Band is playing this hymn, and your grace rings out so deep, it makes my resistance seem so Welcome thin. back to Exploring
1: the Word. We're taking your phone calls today. We love this segment. We love the whole hour, Alex and I do, but uh, again, when we get to that last segment, we get to share it with you and your voice and your questions, it makes us excited, and so, Alex, are uh, you ready to go to some phone uh, questions, Bible questions today?
2: Yes, we shall. And the number, folks, it's 888-589-8840. 589 8840 We would love to hear your calls and Bible questions today.
1: Well, we're going to go to the home state of Alex McFarland, North Carolina, and talk All to right. Paul. Paul, welcome. Hey, uh and Bert been a while since i've heard you i've been away on a different
3: schedule but it's good to be back listening to you again
2: um well thank you
3: got a question that me and my wife was talking about last night i hope you can answer it for me because i couldn't I, i didn't have a good answer um she asked about the uh the trinity in the beginning you know before anything else was created uh and the bible talks about Wisdom being she, or like a female, would would the Holy Spirit be, uh, in a sense, uh, a female?
1: Okay. Paul, thank Mm. you for your question. Uh, There was a book a few years ago that came out, and it was trying to display characteristics of the Trinity. Uh, It was not well received by most. It had a lot of stuff in it that was helpful uh how how the trinity works together that is true but in in the characterization of that it it wasn't the best i i cannot say that that's a good characterization alex because of it says of the father uh when you try to find characteristics for him he's as gentle as a nursing mother uh it's just characteristics but not 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 identity right alex
2: yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, nowadays a lot of people. I, I got to give a little bit of backstory. Then I want to comment on Proverbs one verse twenty. Okay, in Christianity, the the way we biblically understand the roles of men and women is is a a perspective called complementarianism. Men and women are complementary. We're equal in worth and value before God. Equal in personhood equal heirs of salvation. In so many, many ways, men and women are equal. But, you know, we're unique in our physiological functions, male and female, you know, siring children, birthing children. Males and females are different. But there's a philosophy that people are fighting for nowadays called egalitarianism, that there's no difference in that. And see, with all sorts of false teaching— just a little bit of false teaching, it's never enough. I mean, 25 years ago, I was hearing about egalitarianism, that, you know, men and women are the same, and women can be senior pastors as well as men. And then, nowadays, we're into transgenderism, and um, males become females merely by thinking about it. So that's an example of how false teaching, um, many dominoes fall. But here's the thing. There was this push to make... God, both male and female. And really, uh, we don't in Scripture see God revealed in any sense as female. Now, I know Jesus makes an analogy. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you to myself as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And the, the love and nurture of God is like the love and nurture of a mother only times a hundred But, Bert, I don't see God, the Trinity, uh, as anything but, but masculine, not feminine. Now, the Proverbs 120, in the English translation, says, Does not wisdom cry out? She raises her voice in the streets. In other words, it's like the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, you know, seek wisdom. But the word there that in the English Bible is translated she means to give or to set forth. So really, it, it could be said, wisdom sets forth its voice in the street, you know, crying out. Why the English translators translated that as she, um, I really don't know, because when you look at the original language, you, you really don't get a feminine um slant to that. It's not word. in the
1: feminine context at all. But not at all. Again, there's a difference in characteristics and the individual person. And uh, you know, men uh caring for their children. Man, I, I hope I have some uh instinct in me that could care for them in a way that would demonstrate that, but I could never be the mother to them. Uh, I'm male and God is referred to as male. So, so Paul, I, the Holy Spirit, uh, he, and it's not it, it's he, as he works in our lives. Thank you, brother, for your call. Next, we're going to Mississippi, and I'm going to try this. Is it Romita? Romita, are you there? I'm going to do it again. Romita? Hello. Yeah, there you I finally got it right. Third time's a charm welcome to exploring the word thank
3: you um i have a question
1: okay we're looking we're ready by the way how old are you
3: i am about to be nine so i'm eight years
1: old oh wow, wow. I, hey i rem- thank you
2: for listening
1: i remember when i would say i'm about to be and now i say i used to be younger but go ahead what's your question for us if jesus Gina-
3: is god then why does jesus pray to god
1: great great question thank you for listening you've made our day hasn't you You
2: really have thank you i feel very privileged that you would listen and please please uh tune in every chance you get well bert let me just say this uh, uh, about this wonderful question very perceptive question I think there's two things, and Bert, maybe you might want to elaborate on this. For one thing, Jesus is the most unique individual ever, because in one person was two natures. Uh, Jesus fully, the, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, God incarnate, but he had a human nature, not not a fallen human, but he was fully human, and as as in a human body, he could... He could resist temptation. He understands how we feel. He was able to go to the cross. Uh, So he was our example. Now we need to pray. Like Luke 18 1, Jesus said that the disciples should always pray and not give up or lose heart. And so just as Jesus, our example in all things, he prayed, we should pray. He was showing that even in his, even though the Son of God, he depended on the Father. He said, my meat, M-E-A-T, in other words, my sustenance, my strength, my meat is to do the will of the Father. And he was um, surrendered, subservient to the Father while he was here. So Bert, didn't it in a lot of ways, I guess Jesus praying, it, it gave him strength, it showed uh, his obedience and surrender to the Father. He was our example. And uh as he was going to the cross, you know, he spent the night before his crucifixion in Gethsemane praying, um, showing for if the, if the sinless Son of God needed prayer and strength from above, uh, then certainly the rest of us do as well.
1: I agree. The same way with baptism. He did not baptize for anything uh, except to start his public ministry and to give validation to John. And I think that's what prayer is as well uh i think if you'll read mark chapter 2 jesus is in a house and they let a man down through the roof so he could get to jesus and jesus said that your sins are forgiven you but and the scribes and pharisees those guys that were always talking about jesus they said only god can forgive sin and they were right but notice what he says uh, He he said this in verse 11. I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go your way. Now, the reason he said that is talked about in verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. A lot of times Jesus prayed again so they would know that they could go to the Father. But Jesus also prayed with communion to God. He was communing with his heavenly Father. And uh, so, because prayer is not just making requests to God and confessing, it is communing with Him, communicating with Him. And Jesus did that, and that's why He did it. And uh, so, I want to thank you for calling. Alex, made my day, brother.
2: Well, absolutely. We sincerely appreciate you listening, and tell your friends, if you would, and just uh, call us anytime. We would love to hear from you anytime. I want to give you a, uh, if I could give you a, Uh, a card, like a gift card, I would say this is a call-anytime card.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Romina. Let's talk to Joshua in Georgia. uh, Joshua, welcome.
2: Thank you for taking
3: my call, Mr. Alex and Bert. I have a question for you. If we're going to be judged on our thought life, here's my question. If If we have ill will thoughts toward a person, but yet we show
1: kindness, what wins out, the kindness or the bad thought? Okay, Mm -hmm. great, great. Another great question. I want to tell you, thoughts and actions usually finally, let me say this, and I hope I say it right, Joshua and Alex, team up. In other words, if my actions are horrible, but if I start changing my thought life toward a person, my actions come along gradually. And sometimes when my thought is bad and I start trying to do good for them, my thoughts, lives come in reaction to my, they they come. Now, Alex, he asked about judging. Uh, I'm praising the Lord that the big judgment day has already taken place on the cross, aren't you?
2: Well, absolutely. Um, you know, if you're a born-again Christian, the question about your salvation, that's been settled, by you've trusted Christ. So the only way a Christian is ever going to face judgment, though, is... We're going to be evaluated for everything we did post salvation, and we'll be rewarded or suffer loss of rewards. Now, uh, but but I do think it, the color brings up an important point about our our heart, because um, let me say this: back in Leviticus chapter nineteen, verse seventeen, uh, God was given Israel the law, and I love this in Leviticus nineteen seventeen says, "Do not." Hate a fellow Israelite in your heart, uh, and some translations will say, "Do not bear a grudge against your brother in your heart." What's interesting is the verse preceding it, Leviticus nineteen sixteen says, "Don't slander a fellow brother," and verse eighteen, "Do not seek revenge," because Bert, you're right. A thought begats an action, and let me just say for. Most any human being, if you're walking around with ought, O-U-G-H-T, if your whole, I'm sorry, A-U-G-H-T, ought in your heart against a fellow Christian, before long you're going to gossip and say a word. That's why even Christians, and again, this is not about salvation, it's about rewards or loss of rewards, but I think we've constantly got to yield our thought life to God. I mean, how many times against um, uh, your boss at work or your teacher or, heaven forbid, even your family member or, God forbid, even your spouse. In your heart, you've thought things that are just unrepeatable. But yet God knows those thoughts. And maybe even uh, we're often saying, you know, God, forgive me for this or that action. But I think we're called to purity even in our thought life.
1: Preach it, brother. Let me give you one thing, and then we'll go to our last call for the day. Uh, You remember what Jesus said about the the Pharisees outwardly? They were like whited sepulchers. In other words, their actions, they were men-pleasers trying to look good to them. But you remember what he said about on the inside of those whited sepulchers? They're full of dead men's bones. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I, I just want to tell you. You want to get your thought life under the control of the Holy Spirit. Work at it. And when you have ought, as you said earlier, or you have anger or bitterness, I want to just tell you, confess it. Uh, Agree with God, and it'll come back up. But agree with God again. Go to God every time. Thank you so much for that good question. I appreciate that, Josh. Let's go to Mississippi again and talk to Clay. Clay, welcome. Welcome.
2: Hi, thanks for taking my call. I understand we are short on time, so I'll, to the point. My concern is about baptism. If the finished work of the cross ensures our salvation, according to Paul's writings, all we have to do is believe, place our faith in that finished work of the cross, which he addresses in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Are we adding something to that?
3: by baptism
1: again let me make it now let you take us out on it again salvation is by grace through faith it is you trust christ the finished work of christ you surrender your life to him repent in repentance and ask him to be lord but discipleship baptism is a part of discipleship not salvation So if you're adding baptism in order to or add to, no, but it is a part of discipleship in following the Lord. Alex, go ahead.
2: Yeah, well, the New Testament uses the word baptism in really two senses, like Galatians 3, we were just in Galatians 3, uh, being baptized into Christ, immersed into the body of believers and the Savior himself, and how are you baptized into Christ? Through faith. Uh, But then there is water baptism, which is like wearing a wedding ring. You know, I was in a jewelry store, and I tried on some men's wedding bands. Uh, That wasn't what got me married. You know, what got me married was we stood at an altar 33 years ago and said, I do. Now, I wear this wedding band, uh, and it publicly shows that I'm married, but that wasn't what got me married. And in a similar way, when a person is water baptized, we're not adding to the work of Christ. But it's a public proclamation of the faith that's already taken place the moment you put your trust in the, the Savior.
1: It is a picture buried with Christ in baptism, raised to new, new, newness of life. It's not the water, but it's a picture of what He's done in our lives. He's took a, taken us out of that horrible pit, set our feet on the solid rock of Jesus, and put a new song in our heart. I pray that you've trusted Christ. If not... Ask him to be Lord of your life. Ask him to say, Welcome back tomorrow for more of Exploring the Word.
0: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.